some of you know that. Many churches celebrate that. They use that as part of the tradition. On Easter morning, the first comment made when you greet somebody is, He is risen, and the response is often, He is risen indeed. I got to tell you, when I was thinking about that this morning, uh, a different thought came to my mind. I've mentioned the last Sunday or two that uh, we've started using a different curriculum, a new curriculum, and restarting our kids' ministry uh, over next door. And uh, it's got videos and and print material and different things. And anyway, in one of the videos, they've got these two guys. It's animated, and they've got this one guy that kind of plays the, the little slower character. And uh, the first guy says, he is risen. And the other guy says, risen from what? <laughs> and he says, uh, was he sitting down? And the other guy says, no, he was dead. He's risen from being dead. And the guy says, uh, people don't rise from being dead. You know, and, and he captures just in that, in that silly little moment a real truth. People don't rise from the dead. This is not a common occurrence. This is not something that we say, well, Jesus did that and a whole line of other people who have done that. This is an unusual occasion. It's an amazing occasion. And it's something that we're celebrating today. We're celebrating every Sunday. Anytime we gather for worship, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, but especially on Easter Sunday. He is risen. And that's the reason for our joy. That's the reason for the joy that Christians should have always. And so so I wonder, for those of us who are gathered here in person today, I wonder if we are so joyful on Easter Sunday morning, particularly in a worship service, then why would we sing the song that we just sang? Now, for those of you who are joining us by video, welcome, by the way. You wouldn't have the privilege of knowing what song we just sang, so let me tell you, you're welcome to look it up. It's a great song. It's a new song. Uh, The name of it is Isaiah 53. It is literally taken right out of the Scripture. It's by Aaron Schust, and I encourage you to to go online, look it up. Uh, Hope you enjoy it. But but just like in Isaiah 53, it's a a song that focuses focuses on the suffering servant, and it goes through the various aspects of what he suffered. It takes a a hard look and a remembering that our Lord as suffering servants suffered greatly because of our sins. He was wounded, and we were healed by those wounds. And you think, well, sounds like kind of a down song. Why Why would we sing that on Easter Sunday? Well, um... Partly because of a misunderstanding, I think, of the initial disciples and, uh, and a misunderstanding today of many who see Jesus as something that he's not and maybe expect him to be someone who he's, he's not and miss who he is. There's a misunderstanding, and, and because there's a misunderstanding of who he is, there's a misunderstanding of why he came and why he died in the first place, what he has done for us. So I want us to take a look at that this morning for our Easter message. I think the word of the Lord comes to us today with a little bit of a different message, but very true to to why we celebrate Easter and why we celebrate our risen Lord. Let me invite you to open up your scripture to 
the Gospel of Mark. In particular, we're looking at Mark chapter 16 this morning. So I invite you to turn there with me. Mark chapter 16. Now let me tell you before we read this that there are a couple of primary themes that the Gospel of Mark is about. We call it the gospel because it simply just means the good news. And the good news of Jesus is told to us in four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell many of the same stories in, in, in many ways the same order. John is a little different. We get some of the same stories, but there's a different, you can tell, tell there's a different purpose that John had in writing. And uh, so we typically talk about the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as being very similar. Um, and, uh, but we're looking at, at Mark's gospel today, and the two primary themes in Mark's gospel are the hiddenness of Jesus as Messiah. The, his hiddenness when he came, it was difficult for people to see that he was the Messiah, even more so that he was the Son of God. So theme number one is the hiddenness of Jesus as Messiah and as Son of God. The second theme would obviously flow right out of that if Jesus came making disciples. If we don't understand who he is, if we miss his purpose, then it's going to be hard to follow him. And so the second theme is discipleship, but particularly in the sense of the failure of discipleship, the misunderstanding and failure of discipleship. So these are the two themes that are running throughout the Gospel of Mark. And now we look at chapter 16, which is at the very end of Mark. And we're going to look at the first eight verses. Now, depending on your understanding of Mark, you might say the first eight verses, I thought that's all there was. Other people might look at this and say, well, my Bible's got uh, verses that continue after that. What are you talking about? There is some discrepancy. Matter of fact, there has been for hundreds of years as to where the gospel of mark ends many of the earliest manuscripts we have in the original greek end at verse 8 it just has 1 through 8 and some of your bibles may have a note mine's got a very lengthy one explaining this this issue why 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 in some bibles it ends at 8 some bibles it continues on through verse 20 and I'm not going to get into all that that's behind that today. That would be more for a teaching. But I just want to call your attention to it and say that this morning we're going to look at the gospel as if it ends at verse 8. So we're going to look at just those first verses. And I want to read those with you if you want to read along or, or just pay attention to me as I'm reading. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, or Salami, depending on how you pronounce it, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Now, why would they be going to anoint Jesus' body? The passage begins there, and if you don't have knowledge of the culture and the history, you might not understand, well, why would they be going to anoint him after he's been dead already for a couple of days? You'd have to understand that Jesus was killed as a criminal, and criminals didn't have any rights. Not only did criminals not have any right, which might have limited their ability to do any anointing right after he died, but he died on a Friday. And if you understand the Jewish culture in which he was killed, 
the Jewish culture in which he lived, the Sabbath started Friday evening. And you weren't permitted to do any kind of work on the Sabbath. And so for these reasons, they had to hurry when Jesus died and bury him, and they weren't able to complete all the proper steps of burial. That was very important to the people of that era, the, the Jews and the people of Jesus. And so these women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and, and Salome, wanted to finish the work. They wanted to honor Jesus' body. They wanted to, to fulfill their, this important tradition that they had. And so they got up early that morning to go. Just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, can't you imagine it? Can you imagine the grief that they were having? The, the bewilderment? All that they had learned, all that they had been hoping for, dashed when he was killed. And they're on the way to do this task, but you know they're going to be talking to each other, wondering what, well, who's going to roll away this big stone? See, Jesus was buried in a tomb that had a big stone rolled in front of it, much too large for these women to roll out of the way. And so there's, there's a hope on their part. Somebody's going to be there to help them, but there's certainly a wondering, how are we going to get this stone out of the way? Who will roll, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Imagine the amazement. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? It's as if he knew that they were going to be shocked. He knew that this was not expected. He knew that this was going to be so beyond what they could grasp that he needed to give them something else. So he says, look, see, this is where he was. Now, that would have been particularly important to these women because these women were part of the women that had watched Jesus be buried. If you flip back a, a, a couple of chapters in, in verse 14, chapter, excuse me, chapter 15, you would know that after the death of Jesus, verse 39, after the, the centurion had said, surely this man was the Son of God in watching him die. The Scripture says some women were watching from a distance, and among them, and it names these same women. And then it gives an interesting little note. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Now, I highlight that to you this morning because obviously it's the same women they were with him. They had followed him throughout his teaching. They had been loyal and faithful to Jesus. They were not only followers, but they were dedicated and caring for him. That may not be significant by itself. You might think, well, that doesn't sound unusual. Why would this be 
so important that it would have been included in the few words of a gospel that tried to capture Jesus' life. Well, maybe you know that at that time, a man's words were very valuable. A man's testimony could be held up in court as evidence against you. But a woman? woman women didn't have any rights. Women didn't count. So for the fact that you have it noted that these women were following Jesus in Galilee where he was teaching, that they would have cared for him and continued to follow, the fact that they would have been standing there watching the crucifixion and death, even at a distance, when we know from reading elsewhere that all the male disciples, the ones who count, had deserted him. striking that the women were the ones who stayed. It's striking that the women were the ones who were faithful and loyal even to the end. And it's striking that they would have gotten up early in the morning to go and do what was expected, but at the risk of doing this for a known, convicted, and killed criminal. It's a pretty substantial risk that these women were taking. Mark highlights this following Jesus' teaching throughout. How many places do we read where, where women stepped up in an instance that was unexpected and anointed Jesus? Where women engaged in his teaching and bought in more quickly than the men in terms of his purpose and his mission Mark is telling us something that Jesus was telling us. Don't underestimate what I can do with men and women. And recognize that all are invited to be a part of my kingdom and my work. So the women have, have gone and they've arrived and they found the stone rolling away. And in the midst of the shock, they, they go on in and they discover that the body's not there. And they knew it was there because they had just seen it the night before. And here's this, here's this man dressed in white telling them, he's alive, he's risen. And we celebrate, right? Because we've had centuries of retelling this story centuries of coming to terms with the fact that well of course he's risen it's Easter but if you put yourself in the place of going even today go to a cemetery go hang out by the gravestones is there any expectation at all while you're there that one will rise from the dead? Imagine what it was like for them then. Imagine the astounding news. How, in fact, it might not have even registered. So bewildered, so stunned. What were they to do with this news? Then the man goes on to say this in verse 7. 
go and tell his disciples and Peter. He, being Jesus, is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. If you flip back to chapter 14, you'll find in in verse 27 one of Jesus' predictions that he was going to be killed and and then that awful denial from Peter. Verse 27 says, you will all fall away. He's talking to his disciples. You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He knew that when he was killed, it would be too much for his followers. And that if they had not already, they would run. They would, they would be discouraged. They would be disappointed. They would be shocked. They would be lost. And that ever bold, ever confident himself, Peter, had declared, I will not, Lord, even if all fall away, I will not. And of course, Jesus said, not only will you fall away, but you'll deny me three times. The point that Mark is bringing out at this end and that this young man has told the women is that Jesus said in verse 28, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Why would that have been important? Why would Jesus have said that? Because Galilee is where his ministry started. That's where Jesus began to establish his his ministry. That's where Jesus began to teach first about his kingdom. That's where the first humans engaging with Jesus began to see the signs that he was performing. That would have been the place where these disciples were called to follow him. That would have been the place where they first began to give their lives in loyalty to Jesus. And the fact that this young man, who you may assume was an angel, was telling them, Jesus said he'll meet you in Galilee and he'll go before you. That alone would have been reason for astonishment and perhaps a little bit more. Jesus had told them they were going to fall away. Jesus had told them they were going to be, he was going to be betrayed by his own disciples. And surely they had all done this. Now they were going to go back and see Jesus in the very place where it started. Now they were going to go back and have to encounter this Lord who had told them. Do you know what it's like when you're carrying that kind of guilt? To go back into a setting where you're going to see the one that you've let down. One who you have greatly admired. One of whom you have entrusted yourself. One of whom you saw so much hope and potential and then you fell away one of whom you may have even denied, which is probably why he singled out Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Because if Peter's going to be restored, he has to meet Jesus again, and he needs to be taken back where it started for Jesus' words to ring true. This is what he's saying. And Mark ends here in verse 8 by saying, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. 
Now, you may know from reading this story and other other gospels or even from reading the ending that may have been inserted later that they did tell somebody surely they told somebody how would we know (laughs) how would we know this much later that jesus in fact had risen from the dead without the testimony of those who first saw him because although we have his spirit living in us today we don't see him in the flesh like they did we don't see the reason the risen jesus So why would Mark say they left and told no one? Again, you have to put yourself in their place and imagine the fear. Imagine the astounding bewilderment. Could this be true? And we say, well, sure, people, he told you. Have we never been guilty of being told something and not really believing it? even by Jesus. This was unbelievable, truly incredible. As in, could it be credible? Could it be real? It's an amazing thing to think that not only has a human being risen from the dead, Because, in fact, we know Jesus raised several, right? If you've studied, if you know the life story of Jesus and the ministry that he had, you'd know that he raised several people from the dead. So why would this be so astounding? Well, let me just ask you something. Of the people, whether you remember the stories or not, of the people who died and Jesus raised from the dead, what happened to them? They died again, didn't they? Every single one of them. But Jesus, who is still alive today and reigning, who is still alive in us and working through us, who has not succumbed to death again and never will, only Jesus and the fact that they were going to see him in a different place miles away, And that he was going to continue the ministry that they were going to have to face the one who they had betrayed. But also very likely hear more instruction because that's what Jesus did every time he was with them. He just kept teaching them and he just kept calling them and he still does that today. One of the most radical things to consider is that this Jesus is alive, that he is not just alive and distant. He is alive and present with us through his spirit, and he still calls us today to continue the work that he called those first disciples to. This Jesus truly is still influencing and instructing his people. And we're here because of it. Grasp the importance and the significance and the unusual nature and character of Jesus. Grasp the fact that if Jesus is alive still, if Jesus is still instructing his disciples, if Jesus is still calling us to participate in his mission, which was his Mark told us in the very beginning 
to proclaim the kingdom of God, if this Jesus is still alive and calling us, imagine the power that he has at his disposal. If this Jesus overturned death never to succumb to again, what kind of power is this? And what kind of implications does it have today in your life and in mine? Jesus is on the loose. That's what these women are dealing with. This Jesus is alive and on the loose. Nothing can stop him, not even death, that stops every one of the rest of us. If this Jesus can overcome even death, then what is it in your life and my life that he calls us to that we can't do? What is it that he's given us of instruction? What is it of purpose in advancing the kingdom? What is it in being his people to continue on his work that we can't do? If the one who had power to overcome even death is still calling us forward. Friends, do you grasp what these ladies were dealing with? What these women were, were challenged with? Do you grasp the significance for us today? How many of us, in an instance of encountering Jesus face to face, would have in our minds all the things that we know he's called us to do that we haven't done how many of us would have flashed before us all the opportunities given to us? How many of us would be challenged to follow in His way and do what He's called us to do? So when we come back to the song that we sang just before I began this message about the suffering servant, Maybe you hear, as I do, echoes of Scripture that, that include Jesus calling us to carry the cross, to deny ourselves and to follow, to not seek to be first but to be last, to serve others in His name, to give our lives for the benefit of others, to love others like He has loved us. Imagine Imagine the challenge that you and I face regularly. How many of us, seriously, real question, how many of us that know just what we know of the Scripture, who know just the commands that we have, how many of us have wrestled with some of these things and thought, I know He's called me to do that, but I, I can't do that. I mean, not really. I, I can't do that. Have we underestimated the power of the risen Jesus? Friends, that's what we celebrate today on Easter. We celebrate a power that enables us to not work for our own good all the time, to not seek our own benefit, to not have to do anything and everything we can think of to take care of ourselves. But we can risk going against the values of the culture and serve others. We can risk being associated with people who aren't going to have anything to offer us back. We can risk giving up valuable opportunities to work for the good of those 
in need. Because this Jesus, who has overcome the power of death, has told us, this is what I call you to do. And if you suffer and die with me, die to yourself, die to your own agenda. So will you live with me forever. It's a radical calling. It's a radical challenge. It's a radical hope. Because it says if God is going to continue the ministry of Jesus through his people. Look at the blessing. Look at the opportunities he's given us. And look at the power that's available to us. This is Jesus. This is the Jesus of Easter. This is the Jesus who has overcome death. This is the Jesus who is still alive and just as determined as ever to bring about his kingdom in you and me. Think of the possibilities for our culture, our society, our country, our families. If we were to devote ourselves to this Jesus and his teaching, if we were to offer ourselves in the way he has called us to, think of the impact we could make. Think of the blessing we could be. Think of the lives we could help change. What an amazing God we have. What an amazingly loving, compassionate, merciful, gracious God we have. And the fact that he invites us to participate and can give us the power to pull off what he calls us to do. Stunning. This is Jesus. This is Easter. Easter.